Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, the host of this podcast, and I'm so excited to have you here. A bit about me, I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur and investor who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. The Dear 20-something podcast started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful changemakers they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts, we're here to humanize the whole thing. You'll hear from successful trailblazers who will share the highs and lows of their 20s, and you'll also get words of wisdom from some experts who will speak on a certain topic relevant for 20-somethings. And then sometimes it'll just be me, on the mic, hosting an episode where I share recent reflection or story from my own life, as I too am navigating this wild decade. We're so happy to have you here. Let's get started. Today on the show, I am so excited to be chatting with Carolyn Yashannon. After working in the natural foods industry for several years, Carolyn decided to start her own business, Copinico. She started it because she fundamentally believes that the new focus of beauty needs to be on internal health. Years of harsh acne medications like oral antibiotics and two rounds of Accutane left her skin dry and depleted and her gut health in shambles. She turned to holistic and herbal medicine out of a search for something better and it changed her life. She saw the power of plants to heal us from within and wanted to bring the best of plant medicine to all with Copinico. All of their blends were formulated by herbalists, are 100% vegan, and help to support your body's natural collagen production, all from plants. I can't wait to chat with her and share her story with you now on Dear 20-something. Please welcome Carolyn Yashannon. How's it going? Going well. I'm excited to be here, Erica. Thanks for being here. This has been a long time coming. We've been trying to get you on the books. We're so happy to have you here. I know. I think we first connected with, I think I met one of your friends when I was demoing it at Earth Bar in LA. We just launched there. And I think one of your friends first connected us like months ago. Yeah, it's the smallest of worlds. So Peyton, shout out to you if you're listening. It's so funny, like reading, obviously your background now that I know more about you, you guys have so much in common and she makes friends everywhere she goes. And she texted me out of the blue and she said, I met this awesome person named Carolyn. I think you guys should be friends, but I also think you should come on your podcast. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, I trust your judgment. Sounds good. So I'm just super glad we were able to make this happen. And thanks, Peyton, for making it happen. Me too. Shout out to Peyton. Very cool. Well, before we dive into the uh, nitty gritty of your 20s, we do start every show with a fun question. So that question is, what is something new you learned in this past week? We're actually recording this towards the end of the week. So you've got a lot to choose from, but it could be like something exciting with your business, but maybe something like a friend you caught up with who shared something interesting, maybe like a movie, TV show, book, whatever you want, something new. So before I go to bed every night, I'm going to share two things for you. I'm going to share one serious thing, one less serious thing. But uh, the serious thing, I love reading before I go to bed and calms me down. And I recently found a book that my high school career coach gave me. It was John Wooden's book. But he talks about making each day your masterpiece and just has these really old school sayings that are often short saying. It's kind of a collection of different phrases and poems in there. But just that notion of making each day your masterpiece is such a simple thing, but something that I, I kind of have had in my brain for a long time. But having that brought up, again, just brought back a lot of memories and I think is such a simple, beautiful focus. And the less serious thing is has to do with surfing. So I live in San Diego. I'm a very klutzy person, but I've recently gotten into surfing. And people always ask me like, oh, so are you good? And I tell them every week I'm getting better. And that is true because several weeks ago I got rescued by a lifeguard. <gasps> <laughs> 
Mexico. Oh my God. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But so I've been having this terrible time at surfing, but one thing I realized and I was kind of getting anxious around like, you know, when you go out there, you just get pounded by the waves. Like I'm not standing up yet. It's just not fun. But I realized something that's such a metaphor for life. Once you get past all the rough spots, that's where the good part is. So we're surfing. Once you get past where the waves are breaking, then you get out to the fun part where you can actually catch stuff. I saw some dolphins last weekend, but it was kind of a kind of a thing that taught me. Like I've always, I've always uh, looked to a lot of physical sports and active things as ways to teach you about life. And I thought that that was a that was a fun life moment, just to realize that there's you know something sweet after some hard times. Sometimes I love that. That's also very, like you said, very sporty. And so is your John Wooden book. So I feel like actually your two things are kind of one thing. And just to tie it back to Peyton again, I just have to call out the two crazy similarities between what you just said. She went to UCLA and obviously John Wooden is a UCLA coach. And she also was trying to learn recently how to surf. So you guys have to be better friends. I just have to say it now because that is really weird that both of your things, I'm like, that is something Peyton would say. But the John Wooden thing is really awesome. He is an amazing, amazing guy. I think coaches are actually one of the most like athletic coaches or some of the most like underrated philosophers. You know what I mean? Like, cause they have to, and typically they've done it for so long. They have to motivate typically more angry, strong, opinionated, a diverse team of men or women that are doing a sport and they've got to motivate them. They've got to get them excited. I feel like we have to, we should actually like look at more quotes and words of wisdom from coaches, especially like the John Woodens, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think too, what's interesting about him is he's, you know, of course, grew up in the depression, like, you know, more of an old school mindset, but he is someone who can educate so all of us kind of about leadership because he is not about yelling at people. You know, you think of a college basketball coach, you think of someone pounding their fists and losing their mind, but he was all about motivating people in positive ways and just teaching people to be their best every single day. And that that's all you can ask of yourselves. He talks too about the fact that he lost 19 seasons basketball before UCLA ever won their first NCAA championship. Yet all people focus on is their championship and just the, the the dignity of you know improvement over time. And it's uh, I really love it. I really love him. Yeah, it's such a good point. I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from that. And I think. Yeah, I can tell from the way you're talking too that you two are such an optimist. You know, even your comment about the ocean, I think it's refreshing, you know. There's not a lot of entrepreneurs, I think, that have that. Maybe it's because, you know, your business might fail, so you've got to be cynical and you've got to prepare. But it's refreshing to hear someone have such like a positive outlook and appreciate that in someone else. So yeah, I just want to acknowledge that. I think that's that's really cool. Oh, thank you. You know, I work hard. I work hard at being an optimist, but thank you. What are the things you do? Like, so let's say it's a really hard day. You got a lot of no's. Maybe there was a fire with something that you were dealing with. What's the way you reset yourself? Is there a practice you have? Is there a person you talk to to maintain that optimistic attitude? Yeah, movement's the biggest thing for me. Well, I I kind of ground myself in different routines, you know, so I have to move every day. So I feel like, you know, sometimes I wake up a bit stressed out. Maybe there's something going on that I certainly try not to do that. But I, I'll wake up in the morning and I always wake up super early. I meditate. I make a mantra, like no matter what's happening, I make a mantra, I pet my dog and I'll journal a bit. Like I was listening to the artist's way for a while, which is amazing meditation journal, kind of a guided thing. If it seems kind of woo-woo, it can be a great thing. I'll listen to that. But I love going on walks. 
I make sure to walk quite a bit during the day. I have a very active dog, which helps with that. Then also, if I'm feeling super stressed out, something that's actually really helpful is another part of my routine that I have with my husband. We actually, when we're saying our grace before a meal, we'll just say out loud something we're grateful for from that day. It can be a few things you're grateful for. But even on particularly crappy days, which there are some, there are always things to be grateful for in your day. So you could be grateful for the bird outside your window or hard things that teach you lessons. You could be grateful for someone that, you know, made a funny joke at work and made you laugh. But I think that that ability to, even when things are tough, find some beauty. And it's a job, right? It really is such a job to be able to look at that. But that's, that's something that even on crappy days, I'm like, huh, okay. World's not falling apart. There's some good stuff here. And uh, those are those are some things that I ground myself in. Wow, you have a lot of healthy habits. I'm very impressed. The meditation, the walking, the reading, the journaling. Yeah, I think it's all extremely important. I would say most people only do one of those. And the fact that you've done so many shows that you've done a lot of personal development work, which is really awesome. And I love this gratitude thing. I mean, that's my, I'm obsessed with gratitude. If you actually just look at the science of it, like obviously you can speak from personal experience that it makes you feel better, you know, saying grace, saying what you're grateful for. But science shows like you are a much happier person if you are a grateful person. And it's as simple, like you said, as three things a day. And that can be in your in the morning, in the evening. It could even be when you're in those moments of fear and stress and anxiety, being like resetting and saying, what am I grateful for? And just like saying it and journaling it or saying it out loud. So yeah, I'm a big fan. And I love this routine. I too have a morning routine. It's the best. It's really the best. Getting to that consistent rhythm so that you don't let yourself fall into those traps. Yeah, 100%. Also, a recent hack, uh, recent something that has made my days substantially better has I bought, a, I bought a, an alarm clock that's not connected to my Wi-Fi and I leave my phone in the kitchen. Like I was bringing my phone into my bedroom and kind of scrolling through stuff, scrolling through email and going, I, 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 you know, <laughs> before I was going to bed and then I would have a terrible time going to sleep. But now I bring in this thing that has kind of white noise and I read for about a half hour before, to go, before I go to bed. And it's just like, it's this mental thing of leaving whatever's happening in the other room and kind of out of mind. It's really... A wonderful improvement. I love that. So it's actually so funny you say that because are you familiar with Ariana Huffington at all? Do you know who she is? Yes. Okay. So she's great. So she's Huffington Post. She's Thrive Global. And so she has this really funny thing where she talks about, she puts her phone to bed at night. I don't know if you've heard her talk about this, but she, okay. So she has like, I'm not sure if it's like a literal bag or it's like a case or it's, or a box, or I'm not sure what the physical item is, but she like literally puts her phone outside her room and puts it to bed. And she's like, you go to sleep, you put your phone to sleep. And it's the funniest thing because, yeah, her her whole thing right now, especially is about the importance of sleep. She used to not get good sleep. And, you know, she's kind of, she's on that right now. So, you know, that's really aligned. But it's kind of funny, like the way she talks about it, like in her thick accent, you know, like, I'm not going to repeat it, but she's like, you know, just put put the phone to bed. You go to bed, put the phone to bed. And it's like such a good point. Like, you really don't need it in your room. And an alarm clock does the same trick. So it's funny. You're saying that. I'm like, yeah, I think actually more people need to try that. Like, do you have a specific alarm clock that you really recommend? That is it it's going well? Oh, okay. Wait, I can look this up. I feel like Hold this on. is like a very classic like Amazon reviews thing. Like Wi-Fi alarm clock. Yes. Okay. It's actually lofty. So technically it is connected to Wi-Fi because it just gets the Wi-Fi. That's the one thing I don't like. It's like 
the, my internet went out. And so it lost the time. But I do love this clock, the, the lofty clock. I play like rainforest music before I go to bed. I did get another device. I found that a lot of alarm clocks, it was super fancy online, except they're still connected to your phone and you have to program the alarm through your phone. I'm thinking, no, this is not why I'm getting this thing. I want to deconnect from my devices. So I actually really like it though, the lofty one. Okay, that's great to know. Thank you, yeah. You might have just converted some purchasers right there. They should be paying you affiliate money ah. for this. My goodness, <laughs> this is not sponsored. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so good. Okay, well, let's start at the beginning. Obviously, we're going to want to get into your 20s and, and all your you know experience there. But I do want to maybe just touch a little bit on like, how did you grow up? What did you want to be when you grew up? Brief overview of like family dynamics and then getting into kind of before you went to college. So I grew up in the SFB area. I'm the middle child of three sisters. My parents were, still are, small business owners. So they had a small spice company when I was a kid. They're actually baby photos of me crawling through these spice racks. My mom would always bring me to work with her. You know, tell me it would be five minutes at the office, turn into a few hours to kind of learn to make this small business a playground and would always help out uh, in whatever way a five to seven-year-old can at work. But was able to see my parents kind of grow their small business from the ground up which had a profound impact on me and of course my sisters. But I've always been really into sports. Like our Sunday morning routine growing up, we, you know, my dad would get us up super early. We'd go to super early church and then we'd go hiking every single weekend. Cause like, like on a dime, you know, my parents were always busy. So they weren't the type to pick us up exactly on time from school, so to speak. Sorry, mom, if you're hearing this, but the time that they did spend with us was really high quality. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. So we do this three hour long family hike every Sunday when I was growing up. And I used to hide from my dad, you know, like thinking that if I hid away upstairs in my closet, they'd just forget and I wouldn't have to go on the hike. Like I hated it when I was a kid. And now, of course, I'm talking about it in this nostalgic way. And I love it. But it's so funny looking back, my sisters and I would just be like, oh, no, they want to do it again. But got super into kind of small business healthy eating. I was, I was really lucky to have parents who realized pretty early on that connection between our internal health and our external health. My mom, unfortunately, had a brother who died of a heart attack when he was in his mid-40s. Even though he's a marathoner, he did not eat very well. And she got really into learning about how diet impacts our overall health. So my childhood is very much small business, athletics, healthy eating, I was always into different sports. Uh, got cut from the high school cross country team. No. <laughs> when I was, uh, oh, no, it was volleyball. No, gosh, no. Here's the thing. No, no, no. Here's the thing. I remember I got cut from the high school volleyball team. I was crushed by that. Oh my gosh, so crushed. And then cross country didn't have any cuts. So I would go on it. But I'm like, I'm like a big bones person. I am not built for speed. And I didn't try that hard because I'm not, I don't like running, but <laughs> confession time, but would do the cross country. And then I was like, oh, this running thing. I don't know. This is for me. So I saw the rowing team. I was like, oh, rowing. What's this? You know, this is kind of weird. Who rows? And it looked kind of cool. And people were doing really cool stuff. Actually, my freshman year, the men's team won the world championship at my high school. So yeah, they won the national youth championship and then the Stern pair went on to win the world championship. So I was like, oh, this is cool. I don't care about any other team doing that. And I signed up for the crew team, loved it. Fast forward a few years, I ended up getting recruited to college through rowing. 
which was an interesting process because I was not the fastest person on the team at all, but I had a higher GPA. So I, I kind of, this is an experience, getting recruited was an experience that kind of prepared me a lot for life. I think for jobs, starting my own company later, because I had to learn to hustle. So I knew that basically all these teams have 10 spots and they have to have an average GPA. And of course, they want people to be fast. So I knew that these coaches weren't going to chase me down, like my best friends who are six foot two. I'm five foot eight on my team. So I actually went around to all the different coaches in the Bay Area. And I also, you know, was fortunate enough to have a family who could take me to, like my mom took me to DC to meet some coaches and like a few, you know, road trip up to the Northeast to meet a few coaches. I set up all these meetings myself. You know, I had some funny meetings too. Like I remember going to the Yale coach thinking that I would be growing at Yale, right? But her being like, you know, just going to be honest, you are not on your way to being in Columbia and you are not the daughter of an alumni. So you are probably not getting in here. And I was like, okay, well, that is very harsh, but thank you. But I ended up getting recruited to three different schools. I wanted to go to business school and I wanted to row. And so I was getting recruited to Cal, Georgetown, and Penn. And I decided to go to UPenn. I got into Wharton and really through pitching myself and pitching it as, hey, I, I can help your boat go fast, of course. And I, I work well on other people. I'm a good technical rower, but also I can help bring up your average GPA. Please bring me in. And they did. So that was kind of how I got into college. <gasps> I'm obsessed with this. This is insane. I never talk to 17-year-olds that hustle their way into meetings with coaches. Maybe I'm just jaded because of the college admission scandal where I feel like a lot of these athletes, it's like, oh, the coaches are doing it for them or like their parents are paying or doing it for them. But you were like the student and the athlete yourself and you were like, I want to make this happen. I know I'm probably on the border, but I'm smart and I'm resourceful and I'm going to go make it happen. And like, that is just extremely rare, especially like at that age that you had such conviction that you were going to row, you were going to do crew and it was going to be at a great school and they were going to take your meetings. And I mean, did you always have that level of like drive and conviction? Like, I mean, you're so convincing. I'm like, yeah, you, I take you to my school. I don't even know if you're good. Like you, you just, you're so tenacious. I'm sure it's very infectious. Has it always been that way? I saw my parents. I mean, my parents built a, built their small business from the ground up. And, you know, they always kind of taught me that no one's going to pluck you up and do things for you. You know, you have to be your best marketer. You have to advocate for yourself. So yeah, I mean, I found the coach's emails off the internet <laughs> and I reached out. And you, know, you kind of start getting into stuff and you realize, you think, oh my gosh, they must be doing all this. No, people don't do this. Like people don't put in the work all the time to go reach out to people. And, you know, there is a certain art to the cold email, all this stuff. But I, I mean, I called the offices cold. I found their emails off the internet. I asked people, you know, who might know people and, and just kind of, and I think like I showed that I wanted it so badly that they were like, oh, okay. You know, she really wants to be here. This is interesting. You know, they want people who really want to be there. So yeah, it, was a, it was a good lesson for life. That's a lot of those kind of same things are how, how I'm building my company now. Yeah. I'm so impressed. I'm also a freak for the cold email. And like, I, I think if it's done thoughtfully, the cold call or the cold email, it can take you so, so far and not enough people talk about it. I mean, I'll just show you some love right now. Like you even did that with me. Like I've been so booked with the show. We've had guests forever. And I was like, I'd love to have you on, but like, it's literally booked out forever. You're like, okay. And I was like, can you just follow up with me in a little? And you were like, yep, no problem. And you followed up with me. And I was like, do you know how many people don't follow up? Like, that's the thing, honestly, 
and this is, I'm, I'm revealing a little bit, but I feel like when you tell people like follow up or let me know in a couple of weeks, 90% of people won't do it. Or like, oh, thanks so much. You meet them in person. Oh, thanks so much. So nice to meet you. Actually email me. I'll help you with something. 90% of people don't do it. And I think it's like having that tenacity, following up, saying yes when someone gives you an inch and you take a foot. I think it's just so, so rare. And I think it's like the heart of a real entrepreneur, you know, is someone that's like, I want this. No ego. I want this. So I'm just going to keep following up. You told me I could. Like, you know, I just, I really, really respect it. And I think that not enough people have that attitude. Thank you. I appreciate that. I really want to shop to you. What can I say? I know. And it's so flattering. And it's, it's also just so sweet that you like, I mean, not sweet. It's fucking badass that you just like followed up and you did it. And it's, you're obviously, that's what you're doing now with your business, which we'll get into in a little bit. But I just, I really respect that hustle. And I think you don't see it enough people that really, truly want it. How are your parents doing now with their business? You said they built it from the ground up. Obviously, Spices is so cool. I actually randomly also know a Spice entrepreneur. How are they doing? How did it grow? And and how was that journey? Obviously, it sounds like they've been doing it for a while. Yeah, yeah. They're amazing. They built a company from the ground up. They're, they're pretty private people. But they, you know, it was funny when I was growing up, it was always very much a struggle. So, you know, they were completely revamp- revamping their business. They changed their business several times. I used to actually go spend my summers helping out in their little factory when I was a kid. And I mean, I would be going like helping to, you know, make kits, box things. But I was, you know, 10 years old, my sisters and I would joke about child labor. Oh my God, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it, I'm making them sound bad. No, of course. It's not, but, yeah, um, yeah, it's fun. But it was so funny because they you know, they really went through a lot of years where they were just putting everything they had into a business. Then they used to talk so much about, you know, deferred gratification, all these things. And I also remember, you know, as I, when I was kind of in high school, I remember talking to my mom about business and being like, oh, you know, I really like this. Like she used to send me to trade shows when I was 16 years old, because I didn't look 16 representing the company because she just didn't have the budget to hire people. Great experience, by the way being alone at a trade show, having to set up the whole thing. That's another thing that taught me a lot. Uh, and this is in the summers before I did all my pitching for recruiting. So I think a lot of these skills all came together. But I remember being like, oh, you know, I really love small business. I think I'm going to do that someday. And my mom was like, don't start a business. It's going to consume your life. Don't do it. But well, lo and behold, I have started a business. But they've also, I, I mean, I really feel like I've seen the American dream with them. And it's just been really cool. And uh no, they've just, they've changed a lot. They've pivoted a lot. And I'm just really proud of them. That's so awesome. It's so lucky you got that close exposure. You know, I think a lot of times entrepreneurs, I mean, I didn't get that. Like I, no one in my family is an entrepreneur. No one in my family does business. And I mean, I think it's just such a blessing that you got to see them make it and do it and hustle and be part of that journey with them. And obviously like being child labor and going to these trade shows, like going to the factory, like it paid off because you know what? You went into a great school and you are building a great career for yourself. And, you know, I think it, a lot of the times like hustle and struggle when parents do that, when the kids are younger, I think actually teaches the kids so much. It teaches them independence. It teaches them the importance of hard work. And it also teaches them the importance of high quality time, which you hinted at earlier on those, you know, Sundays where you'd go to church and then you'd go hiking. Like they're busy with their business. They don't get a bunch of time with you, but when they do, it's high quality. And I think sometimes when, again, being a stay-at-home parent or having a more chill job is also very lovely, but you get more time. And when you have more time, it's like supply and demand. It doesn't all need to be so high quality because you just get so much more of it. And so 
I think it also teaches you to be more grateful and appreciate the time you do get. And there's a lot of wins and benefits for kids that grow up the way that you're just describing. So it's very cool to hear how it turned out for you. I do have the million dollar question is, you went to UPenn, you're obviously already very entrepreneurial. You're hustling for yourself. You can sell anything. You then choose to major in history, which I will say I was very confused. It's so funny because like I very much identify as like the businessy entrepreneurial person and like history, even the word history gives me hives. Like history in high school, I just hated it. It was not me. I don't find it interesting. I see the point, but it's so different. It's much slower. It's a lot more writing and reading. Tell me what happened. Why did we major in history when we're entrepreneurial? <laughs> I'm confused. All right. So this is, <laughs> this is, I had a very, this is, I had a very like weird, I feel like some people enter college. Well, no, like many people, right? I was recruited to this school. You know, this school is like, if you're a child prodigy, an athlete or the daughter or son of an alumni, you get in. And so I come there and there are kids who have known that they wanted to do exactly what they're going to do every day, you know, since they were 14 years old. And I'm like, wow, hats off to you. That is not me. My parents, they work so hard. I saw them work so hard. And I think sometimes when parents work really hard, you know, they really want you to do certain things. They were like, oh, you should really do accounting. And I'm not an accounting person, but that was my inspiration for business school, right? I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I was like, oh, mom and dad said that I should do accounting. I should do that. So I got it. And then I was like, oh, I want to go to the best business school in the US. So I got into Wharton best business school in the country. And I go there and I'm all excited. And it's changed so much. For me at the time, it was a lot. It was, you know, you're 18 years old. It's very corporate-y. And there was at the time a bigger focus. And they really, I want to say, they've really done such a wonderful job with the school. There was at the time a big focus on like working for a big bank, working for a big consulting firm. I remember for our first management 101 class, we had to wear suits to class, all this crazy stuff. and. I was not, I was like, what is this? This is not my experience with business. My family does not corporate at all. <laughs> you know, this is, this is so weird to me, but I really craved that kind of connection with what I was doing. And I fell out of love with business for a little bit. Like I actually, I did some businessy things. I, I consulted for local small businesses for my summer after freshman year. There's a Wharton Small Business Development Center with SBDC. So I got to help everyone from someone making anti-drone, <laughs> you know, anti Drones, military things, doing cool stuff, anti-mining to a doggy nail salon in West Philly. That was really cool. But I just kind of fell out of love with business. And I was like, this is not, I, I don't want to go work for a big bank. I, I remember being, going to cocktail parties with alumni, you know, they'd have different things out there. And there was some alum who came down from New York. And I remember, you know, him asking me what my concentration in business school was supposed to be. And I was like, oh, I think I'm going to do marketing. And he said, why don't you just throw away your degree? If you don't get finance from Wharton, you aren't even getting anything. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> Who are you? What is this? But I, you know, I kind of wish that I did a gap year in between high school and college and knew myself a bit more before I went into this. But I needed to go about that in a different way. I've always been enamored with history because I'm enamored with people. I mean, I'm enamored with why we do what we do, who we are, what the stories that influence our whole lives are these intergenerational stories that come in. And I've always been fascinated with that. And I think that the humanities teach you about critical thinking in a whole different way. And so I 
switch from being a business major to majoring in history. That was a fun one to explain to parents. But I also knew, you know, I'm like, okay, this marker of success that everyone's doing, you know, people are working at big banks. I still see people doing that from communities. I'm going to do that. Like I'm going to go study these different things. And I, I had a wonderful experience. And I did end up working at a bank. I entered at Credit Suisse uh, summer after my junior year. Really didn't like it. <laughs> uh, turned down a job offer, you know, did different things, did a government internship. Really didn't like that. But or actually, no, I really did like that. And then I worked in the government a little bit after college and I really didn't like that. But yeah, I went through, I went through a very circuitous path from one version of business to discovering my own kind of later on that was sort of intertwined with my own uh, journey with health as well. Yeah, I love this point about how business is so diverse. And so I think a lot of people think they go to business school. And this is honestly, I think the problem with a lot of business schools is they go and it's this iBanking, consulting, finance vibe instead of what are all the really cool nuanced things you can do? What about talent management and marketing for startups and building your own thing? And how can you create impact in business? And there's all these different areas. What about like hardcore data analytics? That stuff's insane. And I think it's really unfortunate to me that it's still that way in a lot of places. And like, I know a lot of people that Wharton's totally gotten better, but I know plenty of people. I went to USC. I know a lot of people that transferred from Wharton to USC because they were like, USC is still a great business school, but it's a little bit more chill and a little bit more like about entrepreneurship and like impact and marketing and just kind of the like other types of business. But I think it's something that not enough people talk about and it's important. I want to just double down on this point for our 20-something business people is like business does not have to be those like more corporate jobs. It can be. And for some people, it's a great fit. But for others, go work for like a really cool startup or go do, you know, marketing for some creator. Talk about learning how to do sales and managing their money. Like there's a lot of other things. And I do agree with you that business in colleges can be a little bit stale and it's unfortunate, but I'm glad you found your way back to it. Would you mind just giving me like a quick overview of this bright people foods job? I know you graduated college, you did a brief stint in government, which was not the right fit. And then you decided to work at Bright People Foods and you've been there for a long time. You've worked your way up from what I can tell, starting with manufacturing and food safety work to being the CMO, which is insane. Tell me about that journey. And then of course that led you to starting Copina Co., which you, which you created. And it was interesting too, because there was kind of a, there was a parallel journey professionally and also with my personal health along the same time, but I really believe in hands-on learning. That's been something that has changed my life and really influenced my early life too. So I came back to a lot of those roots. I got tired of being at just bigger ticket, bigger name institutions or bigger name things, which can be great. But I think sometimes there can be a a temptation to kind of just have it on your resume, but maybe you aren't doing as much hands-on work. And, And there are really two ways of going about stuff. You can work for a super, super prestigious institution and be working with a larger team. I'm definitely a smaller team person. That's where I thrive. So I realized that that's what I wanted and needed. And I knew I was going through a lot of my network that I've had, you know, kind of over many years of my life. I knew the people who were behind the company they were transitioning the company and doing really interesting things. And they were actually going to be moving their factory. And they said, hey, do you want to hop aboard? And at that point, I'm 23 and a half. And I was kind of like, you know what? I'm ready for a big shakeup. 
I'm ready to really get my feet wet in an interesting way. And I knew that it was going to be an opportunity that was going to be very unconventional. Like I was going from wearing heels every day to I started wearing a lab coat and opening up the factory at 5 a.m. kind of thing. But I was going to get to learn all parts of a business, which actually, this is a really important thing. If you're ever looking for when people always talk about, oh, I want to be CEO someday, you know, hashtag CEO, there's all this stuff out there. But practically speaking, having cross department experience and PL experience and experience in supply chain and purchasing is huge. Like there have been studies that have been had about why not as many women become CEOs. And that's because they don't tend to get that experience. So making sure that you get diverse experience, I think, is one of the best things you can do for yourself. So I knew that I would be able to get that if I went to this company. And so I started doing production and food safety and training, which I'm a marketing person. I was like, what the heck am I doing? But I spent a long time doing that. And it was a really hard time because it was, you know, it's not fun to wake up at four in the morning and open up at 5 a.m. But I was doing that. But I... I loved the people I was working with. I loved learning. I really felt like that time pushed me in a unique way. And yeah, over time with the company, I was able to transition to what I wanted to do, marketing and sales. Part of that was because I started my own blog and it taught me a lot about social media and about community building. And I walked up to being the head of the head of sales and CMO for the company. And that certainly influenced my business, like my modern business, Copinico, I learned about supply chains. I learned about production. I learned formulation, sales, like the realities of, you know, CPG, all these super important things. But kind of equally important was this journey that I had with my own health and my relationship to my health and this sort of macro view of our health in general that was going on tangentially to that, which was super cool. Yeah. It's so awesome to hear how you work on the ground from the very beginning and learned everything. I like to, I almost call it, like it sounds a little harsh, but like playing with other people's money and like making mistakes with other people's money, I say is always like the best thing to do in your 20s. Like if you can go work for an early stage startup or like a small team, if that's what you want to be one day, like a CEO or CMO, you can play the game with another team, with someone else and learn from the ground up versus jumping out on your own right away. Because you just got, you know, a six, seven, eight year masterclass on all things business. Like you said, P&L, which is profit and loss, supply chain, marketing, social media, everything, operations. How do these things run? How do these things scale? What does growth look like? And so I always say like, it's just so valuable to have that, you know, kind of like zero to one with someone else. And then not only are you more trusted, but you have the knowledge of like, I saw how it went once. I could probably do it again on my own, or at least I want to give it a shot. So I think that it's it's a really great story. And I think also the fact that you were there for so long shows how committed you were to really learning like the art of business and to then take it into your own. And, and so tell me a little bit about why you started Copinico. I know you talked about this personal health journey that you kind of had on the side. In your bio, you talked about years of harsh acne medications and just really ruining your gut health. And, and now you've launched this new brand, Copinico, that's trying to kind of tackle that issue you experienced. Can you just tell me a little bit about what is Copinico and yeah, why did you start it? I don't want to touch back on this too. You know, so much of business when you're in college, because I know you have a lot of college students who might be listening or people right after. The companies that are coming to your college and are going through the on-campus recruitment process that are in the, the campus jobs company, like those are going to be huge companies that can afford to pay stuff. 
that can pay the college to access those services and can pay recruiters, all that stuff. But there's a whole other world out there. At smaller businesses, companies like mine, like I've advertised on college job boards, more than happy to talk about that, but also smaller companies in general. So I really think that's just such an amazing wealth of knowledge and even reaching out to community and your personal network. Like a lot of these companies are not going to do the work to find you is an amazing thing for me. So the inspiration for starting Hokinico really came from my own personal journey. So I started being acne, super fun. When I was in middle school, I was like the first person in my class to get it. And I remember my crush in science class in fifth grade being like, what are those pizza dots on your face? You know, very fun. I started going to, you know, very concerned about this, started going to a dermatologist wearing a lot of makeup, kind of at an early age, and always on the assumption of like, I need to have my skin looking perfect, not what's going on in my internal health that's maybe making my acne so much worse than other people. There was not that focus. So I started going to a dermatologist when I was, my gosh, 10, 11 years old and started going on what are pretty, pretty commonly prescribed, but actually pretty, you know, harsh medications. I went on almost or every oral over-the-counter acne medication. I was on oral antibiotics for several years as a teen. You know, this is before I was 14 years old to self-acne what? What is that? And that's extremely common. I hope it's not now, but it was. I went on two rounds of Accutane by the time I got out of college. And all these things were done on the assumption, you know, that my skin is almost a separate thing from my internal health. And on the belief that I just had to have clear skin. That was, you know, I'm a very results-driven person. I talked about that, right? I just believed that. I just believed that part of my value came from looking a certain way. And so I was like, whatever it is, I have to, you know, I have to do, I'm not going to question what these doctors are telling me. I'm just going to take all of this medication. A lot of people that I knew did. A lot of people were on Accutane, all these things. But, you know, fast forward to the time I was about 25, I was having terrible digestion, which I'd had for years after all of these harsh treatments. My skin was always super dry after all of the Accutane. And just my, I started breaking out percent again. And I was really looking for something different. And when I was going back to my doctors, I wasn't seeing any kind of different answer. It was just kind of the same things again. Oh, just go on another round of these pills. And it was really taking a toll on me, to be honest. I was working really hard, certainly. I was stressed out, definitely. But, you know, I was in a great relationship. There were so many areas of my life going well. But I, I just felt like my, my, I was like, not feeling good. And I had this moment where I realized that I deserved better quality of life. And doctors telling me that how I was feeling was normal, wasn't going to cut it, that there were answers out there and I had to go find them. So I started on my own research because I started listening to podcasts, learning about functional medicine. You know, what the heck is that? Started reading on Ayurveda, ended up going to a holistic doctor, which changed my life and started on a path of herbal medicine to heal my gut and heal my skin and heal my dry skin in my acne. And honestly, my whole day-to-day experience with life changed. And it was this whole experience of realizing, wow, what we see on our face, you know, which beauty is this multi-billion dollar industry and how much of it is just to cover up stuff. But everything that we see on someone's 
external appearance is driven by their own internal health. Can't we do a better job of aligning our day-to-day wellness with how we want to appear? It isn't being beautiful, really being healthy. And I was like, this has changed my life. I want to do something in this area. I want to do something here. And I started getting into, I started exploring businesses in that space around that. Whoa. I feel like you're going to get, I mean, there's a lot of people head nodding right now because I think across the board, especially women, and I am going to gender this a little bit because women typically wear makeup and need to cover up things a little bit more and the beauty industry profits more off of them. This is a very, very, very common experience. I know if I were to think about like my closest friends growing up, every single person except for maybe one experienced acne, experienced dry skin, experienced rosacea, experienced whatever it was that they felt the need to cover up. And obviously when you're 13, 14, 15, it's like awkward orange foundation and it's horrible, but... Yeah, I won't say it was good makeup. (laughs) Yeah, definitely not good. But I think everything you're saying, I'm just nodding my head like this is everyone's experience. You know, we all grew up in a culture where we treated what we put in our body, the food industry, as so separate from the beauty industry. And I hear very, very few conversations about the combination of the two. Sometimes in the scientific world, you hear that a little bit, like a little bit. Like when people talk about what foods to put in your body, like dieting. And if it's like a doctor, sometimes they'll talk about like, keto diet or plant-based diet or that it's supposed to make you look a certain way, like sometimes. But I really feel like actually we really keep them so separate. And I'm sure that's just a profit off of it. You know, give people bad food and then make them pay a lot of money for makeup to cover it up. But it's so interesting to hear about your mission to kind of blend these two worlds and this idea that your internal health determines your external health. What is really difficult, just one thing that I've struggled with is so much of the gut health is unknown. So we don't even know a lot of the times. I used to have to take antibiotics pretty frequently and I would just hear this like pretty random comment of, you don't know what it's going to do to you. You got to take it, but you don't know the effects. It was this like really like doomsday approach of like, well, you got to treat this thing. So you got to take the antibiotics, but we don't know how else it's going to affect you. How do you build products, I guess, and build a business around tackling something we don't know as much about yet and what has been working in your business? Like what are the ingredients you're including? What's like the approach you're taking for something that at least from my, maybe I'm just not educated probably, but I feel like the gut health is just such a question mark. Yeah. So I built my business to focus around aligning your internal health with some of your main goals too. I was really interested in skin health in general. And, you know, this word collagen kept coming up. Collagen, collagen, collagen. And I'd started a blog. I had a terrible name. Carolyn's Pantry. Switched it to Coquinico. So I started it kind of to learn and play around with. And you know, it, was, it was a great way to learn. And I would cook a lot of vegan recipes at the time. But I would always get sent products. And people, even though I was vegan at the time, people would send me collagen. I was like, why are you doing this? And I'd try it and then really didn't like certainly how it's sourced. It's a byproduct of the meat industry. A lot of companies are sourcing their cows from Brazil. People don't realize, I think a lot of people like have a wellness product and they just think it's vegan, but a lot of people don't realize that collagen products are sourced from cow hides, fish skins, eggshells. So didn't like how it was sourced. And then it just gave me a stomachache. 
I really just didn't feel good with it. And I started looking up online. I'm like, oh, a lot of people have these concerns. This is super interesting. And I remember going to my herbal doctor and being like, hey, you know, this collagen stuff. Like, I'm sure a lot of patients ask you about that. And she's like, oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So can you get this, these kind of benefits from plants? And she's like, yeah, absolutely. That's what we do. And it was like, light switch turned on. So I thought, okay, here's this huge need out there for people to genuinely improve their health, but certainly their appearance from, by, by making themselves healthier from the inside out. And here's this product that people are taking that's made of things that a lot of people don't like. And there's a plant-based way to do it. Sign me up. And so that's what I built my business around. So I started using ingredients like go to cola, stuff that's commonly prescribed by herbalists, the ingredients. And I started working with herbalists actually to formulate the products. Kind of used, like I had a network of people within the wellness space who introduced me to a few people because I'm not a formulator in that space, but started playing around with different things. So ended up formulating products using go to cola, organic chamilla mushroom extract, hyaluronic acid, this thing called bamboo leaf extract, almond berry powder, biotin, all these things that essentially help improve, help your body make more of its own collagen, except are entirely vegan. And I worked on it for like a year, year and a half, and then finally launched a few weeks before the pandemic. So exciting. And you have some pretty groundbreaking news about a retailer you're going to be launching in. Would you mind giving us the exclusive? Yeah, yes. It's actually the first time I'm sharing this. It feels weird to say it out loud, but Coquina Co. is launching into Whole Food Stores in North California, New York, and Boston in September. So insane. And by the time that this episode airs, it will be past September. So everyone can go to their local Whole Foods tonight and enjoy. It's so cool to hear your journey. I I could ask you so many questions about it. I think, and even just the whole veganism thing, I think is so interesting. I grew up, my mom and sister are vegans. So I'm very familiar with this idea that like so much of what we put in our body should be natural and of the earth and good for us. And I think more conversations like this, whether it's on your blog or in these podcasts, I think it's just so important. So I thank you for having them. And I thank you for having this mission. I think it's It's very important. I do have one final question before we wrap. This is something we ask all of our guests. It's it's my favorite question and we get a lot of different answers. What is one piece of advice that you would give to all 20-somethings? I would go back to it. I would say to make each day your masterpiece, but making each day your masterpiece, just like what John Wooden said, but making each day your masterpiece is often misunderstood. So many people in college are afraid to make mistakes. There's actually been polling done on the youngest generation and less people have driver's licenses, less people are dating, less people are driving. And I think people are genuinely more afraid to make mistakes, especially in an age. I mean, I can't imagine growing up with social media like people are now. You know, the stuff didn't exist when I was in high school, but or it did, but I wasn't really on it. But that ability to let yourself make mistakes and just go out there and try new things and realize that learning is your best friend and stepping your toe in the arena, that's living your day as a masterpiece. That's that's making each day a masterpiece. And I think really recognizing that it's not perfection, it's trying new things, getting up, learning, being kind and being open. That's what it's all about. Oh, I love that. It's so good. And, and going after it, not only not being afraid to go after it, but going after it like you did for so many things throughout your career so far. Carolyn, this has been so fun. Thanks for hanging with me. Can you let everyone know where they can 
follow you and your journey. And then obviously Copina Co, they can get at Whole Foods when this comes out, but anywhere else they can find your amazing brand. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me on. And you can follow me at Carolyn Shannon and Coquinico at Coquinico. We're sold on our website, coquinico.com, and also then Whole Foods, Juice Press, Erwan, a ton of local independent stores, and Amazon. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was so lovely chatting. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dear 20-something. If you enjoyed it, you can give us a follow over at Dear 20-something on Instagram or subscribe here or anywhere you get podcasts. 